0: This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. By to
1: on the show, 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 show.
0: The afterglow didn't even last 24 hours. Biggest win of the season, uh... I thought statement victory for the Seattle Mariners and before their next game even started an absolute gut punch in the trade of Kendall Graveman. Good morning. It's Danny and Gallant. Kendall Graveman traded to the team. The Mariners were facing traded to the Houston Astros along with the corpse of Rafael Montero for Abraham Toro and an older pitcher that we saw last night. Toro's the reason for this deal. I get it from a baseball sense, Paul. I understand the baseball value. I think it's very dangerous in terms of chemistry.
1: Does it matter if it's dangerous for 2021?
0: Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. Man, you can't have a team that's playing this hard and have a team that involves as many players as are on it that you expect to be contributors and even foundational pieces going forward. You can't you can't have that and you can't you can't give them a gut punch. Yeah, it matters.
1: This gut punch is one that is felt by players. Clearly, the fan base is feeling it. I took a look at the piece that Ryan Divish, who's going to join us at 9 o'clock, wrote for the Seattle Times that highlights some anonymous quotes about just some real discontent with management, same old management, etc. And I saw that, and it, it does look like this situation is one that is going to need some serious rectifying, and I don't know how they do it. There's also a part of me, though, that that looks at it and and thinks,
0: okay, this is what happens in baseball. You're right. You're right. It makes tons of baseball sense. You've got a reliever that has pitched his way to a bigger payday going forward who has a third, a little more than a third of a season left on his contract, and you traded him for a guy that you're going to have for multiple years that you think has serious upside in Toro. It makes tremendous baseball sense. And if Toro hits, by the way, he homered in his first at bat last night. If he hits and helps them in this push, all of this, all of this feeling right now that that clubhouse has will be forgotten. If the Mariners make more trades, which Jerry Depoto has said coming, you can't pass judgment on. It. What I am going to say is, it's dangerous. It, it, it's it's dangerous to deliver a gut punch to your clubhouse in the way that this trade went down in the timing. And I get it, and I don't think Jerry Depoto is ignorant of that. But I do think that there's a risk here beyond just the baseball value you're getting.
1: There should be probably some house cleaning. And I think the general sentiment coming out of the, lo- the clubhouse is that they wish they had had an explanation. They wish they had been told. And maybe that makes things a little bit better in the short term. But to me, Danny, I look at this and this is something that they are going to be dealing with very often in the coming, I would say, days. There's probably going to be some other moves made. Ten years, and it's something they're going to have to get used to. The idea that all of a sudden somebody is going to be shipped off for someone else. And this year it feels a little different, obviously, because the team is in the midst of a playoff chase. But there's a part of me that is looking at the general collective reaction. And maybe this is just, the wait a second, we're all talking about it in this light that says you kind of have to get over it. You know, you have to get over it and move on to last night. And, and I felt like, it, as the game wore on, the Mariners did seem to put it in the rearview mirror. Do you like the trade? I am perplexed by the return. I get, as you just highlighted, why they made it. This is a reliever who's pitching as well as he's ever pitched. And yep. relievers are notoriously difficult to predict year to year. And you're going to have to give him a big raise after the end of the season. Yep. Abraham Toro. I was surprised by that. I thought that they would be going after a starting pitcher. It's great that he homered, not only in Monday night's game for the Astros, but for the Mariners last night. So he's hitting hot, and I guess baseball nerds have been projecting a big jump from him for a while. But this is not, I guess, the kind of guy that I envisioned as putting them over the top. What do you think about it? I love the
0: baseball return. I love getting Abraham I think that that is it makes a ton of baseball sense. He's twenty four years old as recently as what two years ago he was rated the number five prospect in the Astros farm system, which has one of the best farm systems in baseball. He's a switch hittering infielder. He plays third base and second. He's going to figure in at second this year for the Mariners for the remainder of this season. You might be looking at the guy that they hope has a chance to be your long term speaker, right I, It makes a ton of sense. It's the same rationale that they used when they picked up J.P. Crawford. Crawford was probably a better prospect in terms of his overall profile with Good the comparison. Phillies when he was a top 100 prospect. That's but what you're looking get a, for. You're hoping that get a, this is get something guy, get better. Get a guy that didn't hit his first couple times in the big leagues and, and Toro has not hit in the opportunities that I've got. He's also blocked with the Astros. There's This is the perfect. The Astros are desperate for relief and you traded them a good reliever and you took it out of their hide. If you're trying to compete with the Astros in 2022 and 2023 and 2024, which the Mariners are, this is this is a no-brainer of a trade. The 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 reservation I have, the reservation I have is that I don't know if getting a 24-year-old switch hitter who has not hit in his first couple big league chances and auditions is worth disrupting the chemistry of a team that is 23 and 8 in one-run games. I don't know if it's worth disrupting the chemistry and the roles in a bullpen that has been the strength of your team, which was nine games above 500. That's my—so long term, I think Jerry Depoto did a smart baseball trade. In the short term, I'm worried about what happens next for this team, and I think that's going to depend on other trades that are coming. So I'm going to reserve judgment of, hey, was this a—I'm not going to view it in a vacuum because me, I wouldn't have done this trade. I wouldn't have done this trade, and I wouldn't have done it then, simply because, man, it felt so good that win, where they are, everything that's happening, from from a from a big picture perspective, and that's what you're trusting Jerry Depoto to guide. It makes a ton of sense,
1: and that is, I think, a difficult one for a lot of people.
0: Trust and Jerry
1: Depoto in the same sentence. I would say maybe more so with the clubhouse, and based off of some of the anonymous quotes that were coming out. Oh, he better figure this out. There's a part of me though that wonders. Okay. Why aren't we waiting until the trade deadline to, I guess, overreact? Is that just the nature of a, a move like this where somebody as liked as Kendall Graveman has shipped off?
0: Yes, it is, and it's how the players feel about him. Look, we talked to Justin Dunn, who talked to, what do they call him? Big Heavy. Big, Big Heavy. Yeah. yeah. They, they loved the way that guy, it, he, he came back from a career-threatening neck injury. Mm-hmm. He remade himself as a reliever. He, he bulked up in the offseason to prepare for that dudes loved him and they look at this trade and they're saying on the one hand you're telling us to go out there and compete with the Astros and it's time for us to take that and on the other hand we're throwing them a life raft in the middle of a season and making ourselves worse in the short term so I get it and honestly I know that people are saying DePoto didn't come down and talk to the team as the trade was announced and some guys found out secondhand all of that There's nothing, there's no way of explaining this that would have made this okay. What
1: what are you going to say? You're going to tell them. They're
0: fixating on the way the message was delivered. That's what, and yeah, you can find objections to that. They're going to be mad. They're going to be mad about this deal, no matter how it was relayed to them.
1: Right. I mean, the explanation is going to be exactly what Jerry said publicly is that, hey, look, we're looking big picture, not just short term here. And also the deadline is what? Friday. So we got time.
0: If this is the only deal, and they did make a second trade and they picked up Tyler Anderson, who's a left-handed starting pitcher. That was surprising from, to from me. From the Pirates. That they got another lefty. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the Would end Would you of rather have him start or Darren McCacken? I mean, that's, that's yeah. really as much as, this guy's, a, this guy's a straight rental. Easy answer. And you traded him for two prospects most people have not heard of. Carter Bins, who is a catcher. I think right oh, now he's Carter. in Double A. It's yeah. a pretty good name. And Joaquin Tejada, who's 18 years old like and better. and somebody who had pitched in the Dominican Summer League. You gave him for two lower rental-level prospects, and he makes your next start. It's a straight rental. But the, but the real question at this trade deadline, if, if the Mariners don't make themselves better for this year, if the next trade or trades that they make don't improve the product for 2021— Every one of those players, and especially the veterans like Kyle Seeger, have every right to believe that it was all lip service about giving them a chance to win this year and that the long-term rebuild, that 2023 and 2024 was more of the guiding rationale. And I could get a player being really mad about playing with this team and getting it to nine games over 500 and then saying, thanks a lot for the effort we're going to really think this pays dividends. We're going to play this forward and really parlay this into better players for 2023-2024.
1: Warranted feelings for the guys who have been here, but for everyone who's young, get used to it. You're going to see more of this, and you got to move on and start playing well. This is a part of all sports. It's unfortunate. I do feel for some of these guys in the club. So it seems like they were really emotionally affected by it. And losing Graveman will have an impact. I mean, he's pitched really well over the last month outside of that one at-bat where he had a bunch of runners that, came, that were on. Um, I think it was Shohei Otani against the Angels, but against, against the Yankees, um, against the Astros, the
0: A's, he looked good, but you got to move on. It's Danny and Gallant. It's time for Front Page News. This, this is the Front Page. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710. Get what you need to know to start your day right now.
1: Well, we have visual documentation of one Jamal Adams reporting to Seahawks training camp. Oh, there's a picture? Oh, there is a picture. It is, I would say, Sasquatch-esque. He's wearing jeans, a t-shirt, walking on into camp. So you have the documentation. We'll see how long it takes for an official deal to be made. But, you know, Danny, something I've noticed over the last 24, 48 hours, holdouts seem to be a thing of the past. And maybe it's because of the collectively uh, bargained agreement where now all of a sudden NFL teams don't, have the ability to forgive fines for missing days of training camp. Xavier Howard, who requested a trade yesterday from Miami, he reported. Chandler Jones, who supposedly wants a trade, he reported. Aaron Rodgers reported. Everyone's at camp, so I don't know if this necessarily reflects on how Jamal Adams is feeling about the negotiations, but he is there at the very least. We'll see if he's actually at practice today.
0: I will not worry about whether or not his extension gets done until we get to game three of the preseason. At that point, and maybe I'll say practicing before the second game, because usually I have two weeks of practice to get ready. If you get to the point where if he doesn't play in the third preseason game, there'll be some questions about whether or not he's going to be ready to go week one. If he's not signed by then, then I'm going to worry. Up until then, I'm I'm going to trust the ability of this team and that player to get this done.
1: Does it matter if he's on the field in the next couple of days,
0: in the next couple of weeks? No, not at all. It matters if he's here. It matters if he's here. It does not matter to me one iota about whether or not he's on the field. There are so many guys who
1: do not practice at all at training camp. I would point in Arizona to DeAndre Hopkins, who never has, never will. (laughs) So, yeah, I I think that that side of things, no need to overreact. I'm with you. Third preseason game is where it probably gets
0: dicey. The Front Page. Look, Tyler Anderson coming to the Seattle Mariners, that was a surprise because I thought he was already traded. I saw a headline earlier in the day. He's going to the Phillies. So then Jeff Passen, and this is in the midst of everybody's like, why didn't Jerry tell the team? And there's a quote about him playing fantasy baseball up in his office. And then there's the news that, oh my gosh, the Mariners traded for him. I was like, well, that might've been what he was doing, guys. Mm-hmm. The trade from the Pirates to the Phillies, Tyler Anderson is a left-handed pitcher who is going to be a free agent. The the Pirates decided the Phillies were sending them damaged goods. They nixed the trade because they didn't like the physical. So they, they nullified it. Seattle stepped in. They trade Carter Bins, who is a catcher who I believe right now is in double A, Arkansas, and then Joaquin Tejada, who's an 18-year-old. They took a flyer on a young pitcher from the Dominican. Uh, that 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 might pan out, but that's an absolute flyer. They get Tyler Anderson, who's got his best walk-strikeout ratio of his career. He's going to be an improvement on your fifth starter for a team right now that does not have five starters. Welcome aboard, Tyler Anderson.
1: That last part's the most important part. You need to have a fifth starter so that you can give your bullpen a little bit of relief. I do not think Jerry DePoto is done. I do wonder what the next move is, though. And you do probably have to replace Graveman in some way, shape, or form. Joe Smith ain't it. Not what we've seen from him this year, where his ERA is somewhere in the sevens.
0: I like the that way is, he throws, though. Submarine style. He does have a little bit of a, uh, a hiccup in his delivery. And last night he pitched, and Abraham Toro homered the Mariners' lose 8-6. to six. Kind of the wind being taken out of the sails. It's Danny and Gallant. It's time for us to get to the professor for our morning drive. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant.
2: It's a four-way battle and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to
0: go. The first and final word on everything Everything NFL NFL. from the
2: professor John John Clayton. Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football.
1: It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny Danny and Gallant. Gallant. Professor Jamal Adams reported to training camp for the Seahawks yesterday. Today's the first day of practice. Shoot from the hip. Is he going to be actually practicing on the field, or is he just going to be chilling off to the side?
2: I think he'll practice. I don't don't see why not. I mean, again, it's like uh, I think they'll get a deal done. It's going to be a little bit more expensive than I think the Seahawks wanted because I think they'd like to keep him at a $16 million mark, but now you're seeing so many deals coming in a little bit more and all that stuff. But, uh, no, I think that everything should be fine. I don't know if it's going to get done over the weekend, but I don't think it's going to go to the third preseason game or anything like that. But I think there's optimism that
0: something is going to get done. John, Xavier Howard is a really good cornerback with the Miami Dolphins. He says he does not feel valued in Miami. He would like a trade. Seattle has a need at cornerback. Is there a possible match there? Absolutely
2: not. I mean, come on. He's one of the most expensive cornerbacks in the game. Uh, you know, he, he got top last year when Byron Jones was signed for $16.5 million. I mean, do you think they're going to pay over $15 million for a cornerback and pay over $16 million for a safety? I mean, give me a break. There's well, John,
0: abs- There's no put- chance. When you put it that way, it sounds like I asked you a silly question. because Pretty it doesn't much, sound like
1: there's much of an
0: opportunity I mean, come, there.
2: I mean, you're talking about you know one of the three or four highest-paid cornerbacks in the league. I mean, ten what,
1: picks last year, though, John. And also, he quoted he, Mar- they Sean can't. Lynch. Ha-
2: it can't happen. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like there's no there's no cap room to be able to do something like that. Come on, I'm just serious. here
1: so I don't get fined. Though,
2: come on, that's yeah, a great line. I, it's like come on, it's like uh, I mean, it's, it, it's a ridiculous, stupid thought.
1: I'd like to see it happen regardless. But anyway, Professor, yeah, yeah. we're probably it's a pipe dream when we're looking at Alden Smith and the yeah. kind of impact that he's gonna have for the Seahawks this season to be the guy that he used to be or the guy that had three sacks against Seattle last year. But he has reported to training camp. Mm-hmm. Supposedly he has worked himself back into shape after not necessarily being in shape. He, uh, during minicamp, he was excused from minicamp there. What kind of expectations do you have for Alton Smith? I,
2: th- I think it'd really help. I mean, I don't know where he fits in the rotation as far as the defensive end rotation, but he's going to fit in there pretty well because he can rush the quarterback, play some defensive end, and just gives him another option, you know, t- with Kerry Hyder and everybody else to uh, to rush the quarterback and you know that we find out through Greg Bell that uh, the trial has now been postponed until August 14th and so the great part is he'll have pretty much all of training camp to be able to you know catch up and learn this defense and show what he can do so I think that becomes a, an important thing and now it's a matter of just uh, you know again him getting in full shape. And uh, doing some things, so I think it's very encouraging that uh, he's able to come in and do what he's able to do. John,
0: the return of Randall Cobb to Green Bay amuses mm-hmm. me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Is this some sort of like they're like Aaron's like you got to go get him, and they're like okay, okay. He's he has not played that well since he left Green Bay. Do you think he has anything left in the tank?
2: I think he does. Uh, you know, and I, I think what it comes down to is that Aaron's so mad at uh, the front office to a point where he's probably going to have that clause in his contract or however he's going to handle it once he revises everything with his deal that uh, he's out of there after this year. But, I mean, he just wants another wide receiver. I mean, you you think about the idea that's like, okay, last year, I mean, here all he has is Devontae Adams and a bunch of third and fourth wide receivers. And so it's like, hey, get me somebody I know. So give me give me Adams, give me Cobb, and then I'll take the other four guys, and we'll see what we can do with them. So I, I think that uh, they're just accommodating him because this is going to be the last hurrah for the Green Bay Packers. You know, you can see that uh, Devontae Adams is you know negotiating, trying to negotiate a contract, but they're not going to pay him like. Uh, deandre hopkins so you know he's going to probably go unless they franchise him next year uh you know they get cobb and of course the only reason for the delay is the fact that uh, you know he's got eight you know he's got an 8.5 million dollar cap number and they're tight against the cap so they have to figure some more things out there and so uh i mean he just wants something that he can throw to now even though his numbers weren't great with uh, even Aaron Rodgers. Uh, it, it's one where he feels comfortable, and Aaron wants to feel comfortable in what's going to be his last year in Green Bay.
1: Supposedly, he's looked a little bit better in Houston over the last two seasons, so we'll see if that actually helps out the Packers. I'm I'm a little skeptical on that. From... Professor, I did find this interesting yesterday, though we saw that Bill Belichick, as coy as always, when mm-hmm. ask questions. It sounds like He's more open to the idea of an open competition at the quarterback than he had been
2: a couple of weeks ago between first-round pick Mac Jones and Cam Newton. And he should be. I mean, because, again, I don't know. I mean, Cam's going to most likely start the season because I think they're going to start with the veteran uh, as opposed to the rookie, knowing that they spent two uh, $12.5 million tight ends, $11 million on Nelson Aguilar, $5 million on Kendall Bourne and Kendrick, Kendrick Bourne and all that stuff. So I think that, you know, I think he wants to start with a veteran, but also it's like, Hey, I mean, Cam Newton play well last year, and I say no. I know the COVID in the middle of the season did slow him down, but I mean, when you throw for less than uh, you know three thousand yards and you only have like about eight touchdown passes, you know how good of a quarterback are you really? Now again, I know just like uh, you know Aaron Rodgers was complaining about not having enough wide receivers. I mean, they even less uh, at the New England Patriots. So it's like okay, let's try to get the most we can out of what we can, and so I but uh, you know. I think that uh, there's a chance that, you know, Mac Jones can pick up the offense quick. I think that's pretty safe to say. And if he picks it up so quick, then maybe he will start at the beginning of the season. But, uh, you know, like this is Bill Belichick. I mean, he, he's always going to have open competition because again, he'll, he'll take guys who are supposed to be, you know, regulars and put them as, you know, backups for a week, just because he wants to make some changes and
0: do some different things. That's just Bill Belichick. John, we've we've talked a lot about different rookies Paul brought up the question of of Mac Jones do you think we'll have any rookies starting week one doesn't sound like it'll be Trey Lance in San Francisco doesn't sound like it'll be Fields in Chicago Mac Jones might have a shot in in New England do you think we have any rookies week one starters yeah Trevor Lawrence Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville.
2: I mean, you know, I know Garner Minshew's not going to like that because he doesn't want to give up the number one job, but Trevor Lawrence is going to start there. I mean, they're not going to be very good. because holding some
1: things in, too, because he doesn't want to, you know. there's Number two is unacceptable, John.
2: I know. Number two is unacceptable, but number two is where he's going to be at the very best. I mean, you know, again, it's like uh, they got C.J. <laughs> Beathard there, too. competing hard. for the Yeah, Beathard. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it's like so it's like, uh, you know, in the end, it's like uh, I, I don't see if it he'll start. But it, I mean, right now, I mean, Trevor, I mean, Trey Lance can't do anything. Same thing with Zach Wilson. I mean, Zach Wilson is going to probably start, but neither of those two guys are signed. They're the only two draft choices in the league that are unsigned right now. And so, in fact, they're the only two holdouts in the league right now. So until they get something done, they can't get, get
0: even into the building. Professor, we always appreciate it, uh, and we look forward to appreciate you with the definitive answer on Xavier and Howard, too. Oh, so stop well, asking. We've already
2: got the definitive answer. They can't afford a $15-plus 1000000 cornerback. Please.
0: Thanks, John. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay, thanks. That is the Professor John Clayton. Did the Mariners fail chemistry class, or does chemistry even matter in baseball in 2021? We'll tell you next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle.
2: Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant.
1: Gut punch of all gut punches yesterday after the Mariners had their dramatic 11-8 comeback win over the Astros on Monday night. They found out Tuesday afternoon before their game against the Astros that... Kendall Graveman, their stud reliever, along with Rafael Montero, had been shipped to Houston to pitch against the Mariners. The Mariners got Abraham Toro, a third baseman who and second baseman who homered last night in addition to Joe
0: Smith, the reliever. You see the move. They won the trade. And, yeah. They won the trade. They won. Kendall Graveman didn't even. They got a home run and a relief appearance for a guy that didn't even appear in a game. He couldn't even pitch. And, honestly, I I wonder how able
1: to pitch he would have been. He seemed pitched, like, three of the previous four days. That. And he also seemed, Danny, really emotional. Here he was, weirdly, before the game, wearing an Astros uniform and talking just about how surprised he was to be shipped off. For me, I told the guys over there I feel like I'm a builder at nature. Um, whether Not even in the game of baseball, just anything. I like to build something from the ground up and see it flourish. And I think that um, I've invested a lot of time over the year and a half uh, to help Seattle get back to winning baseball and the atmosphere that was here the last five days. So in that aspect, it is a little bit it's tough, um, the relationships that were built. Um, to leave clubhouse staff and officers that I know in the bullpen. Um, that's, that's tough. Clearly that sentiment, Danny, was also felt throughout the clubhouse in a piece that Ryan Divish put out with the Seattle Times with some quotes saying, are you bleeping kidding me? It never changes. They don't care about winning, referring to the Mariners' front office.
0: I don't think that's true. I get why, why, why that player feels that way. But this... This move, A, we're evaluating it without knowing what ultimately happens. What is this team going to look like on July 31st, the day after the trade deadline? And we're also, look, acquiring Abraham Toro is not because they don't want to win. Like that's I see the baseball rationale for this. I also completely get what Kendall Graveman's saying, what he feels, and I, I understand what those... Th- there, there are two different things that happen on a baseball franchise. There is the long-term trajectory of that team... And the franchise, and there is the day to day fielding of, of that club, of that team, how that clubhouse functions. Those are not always in alignment. You want them to be on the same page, but there are times there's going to be inevitable tension. And this might be one of those traits that just is. And then the question becomes is Abraham Toro good enough? Is he a good enough player, or does he allow you to get a good enough player to warrant that feeling that it engenders in Graveman? Who did was everything you wanted as 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 a teammate in the way he played and how guys looked at him. And the the results on your clubhouse chemistry. And that's we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. I how Kendall Graveman, what Kendall Graveman said is not a reason not to trade him. I think everything Kendall Graveman said is true. That doesn't mean you can't trade him. Sometimes you have to make tough decisions. The the Sonics did not want to trade Desmond Mason as part of the Gary Payton trade that got Ray Allen. And Desmond Mason was as good a dude as you're going to come across. And Howard Schultz made this big, long, that was one of the really hard things and the reason I knew I couldn't own a team. You know what? As Desmond, that was a great trade for the Seattle Supersonics. And if you didn't make it because Desmond Mason was a good guy and everybody liked him, you have no business running or owning a professional franchise because that trade was a no-brainer. If Abraham Toro turns out to be great, I will feel very much the same thing. What Kendall Graveman said and how his teammates feel about him, Totally valid. Not a reason, not a reason to not make a trade, though. I'm with you. Step back from that
1: ledge. Are you really going to cut ties with all the lies that you've been living in? Here's one of the lies, potentially, Danny, that we might find out by the end of the year. I mean, negative 49 round differential in the 55 and 46 record through 101 games. It's the lowest run differential for any team with 55 plus wins through 101 games since at least 1901. So there are some things here where you wonder, is this going to actually be sustainable? And team morale in 2021, yeah, it's important. I mean, you want this team to not get injected with, infected with loser juice. And this is one of those moves that you see, and maybe teams, uh, players are going to look at it and say, oh my goodness, same old, same old. And, And you obviously saw that in that piece that Ryan Divish put out in the Seattle Times. But does morale really matter here at the expense of 2022, 2023? And I'll just say no. And this is just one of the more difficult parts of baseball where you often, in all sports, you don't look at it from that human side of things and how angry and sad all these players are. But it's ultimately not about that. You know, it's ultimately about what these guys are going to do on the field. And they do I'll, have to get over it.
0: I'll push back on that, Paul. It, it does, because what you want as a team is you want a team that's greater than the sum of its parts, right? Right. I I do think there is something to chemistry and guys pulling together. And the things that you mentioned about run differential and the record in one-run games, yeah, those are indicators of what I would say, hey, is that sustainable? Probably not. It's also a really good sign that you've got what you've wanted in the clubhouse. And they've talked about clubhouse chemistry. So I don't want to say that that's nothing. But but preserving that, preserving good feelings, can't be the priority. Like, it's part of it. But you, it can't be the thing that guides all of your decisions, that you don't want anybody to get their feelings hurt. Because you know what? In professional sports, people's feelings get hurt because it's a performance-based business and you have a lot of different agendas that are going on at the same time. This this might be one of those trades that turns out to be good, even though it feels really bad. We'll see what happens there. There is part of me that feels, though, man, the timing could not have been any worse it could you could not have picked a worse time to do it that i don't care that it was to the astros and and there's also a little bit of me that wonders if they if they hadn't come back and won that game on monday night would we feel the same way about it and it, if the answer is if the answer is hey if they lose that game and get bludgeoned like 7 to 2 like it looked like they were going to and it feels different You don't make a decision like this based off of the good feelings of one win.
1: Right, you shouldn't be saying to yourself either that you have all of a sudden a chance to win the American League West out of it or to outgun the Astros. I mean, you're, you're an uphill battle with them, and we've seen it in the first inning of each of the last two games. They have an unbelievable offense that will explode as soon as they arrive at the ballpark, and it really doesn't, I think, matter who you throw out there on the hill. Now, okay, we're talking about the big picture for this team and we're not 100% sure about everything down the road, especially with some uncertainty about the guy who made the trade, Jerry Depoto, and also the guy who is the manager, Scott Service. I wonder how Scott Service feels about this. Service has no choice but to just relay this information to his players and I think this is definitely going to determine whether or not Service stays around not just necessarily, hey, how are he and Jerry maybe seeing eye to eye after a trade like this, but also as a manager, isn't it your job to calm the storm here? Isn't it your job to get all of these guys to continue to play the way that they are? Because I know that we look at managers, and maybe they don't have as much input these days, but aren't they sort of a like low-level psychologist with some of these players trying to make sure that they can have these guys operating at their best every single night?
0: I think Scott's the cartilage right now, man. He's the cartilage that's cushioning the grind between the long term decision making Mm. of Jerry DePoto and the anger of the clubhouse. Scott's service is in a very difficult position because he's got to basically say, Don't shoot the messenger. Here's the decision that's made because and tell his players something none of them want to hear.
1: It's Danny Engallant, seven ten, ESPN Seattle, seven ten, seven ten on the Mac and Jack's Burn Company. Text slide. Your reaction to the trade. What are you thinking? I know a lot of you guys are really just wondering where this team is going this year. Is this year and continuing this year so important that it, you don't make a trade like this and continue going with it and then eventually let Kendall Graveman walk at the end of the year? I know some people definitely have some disagreements with that. What's next for Jerry Depoto and the Mariners? Because obviously there's still 48 hours until the baseball's trade deadline that the Mariners can do things. Maybe they even move Abraham Toro after getting him. We'll talk about some of those possibilities as far as what's next. Next! Right here, Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle.
0: You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Galant. Scott Service. Kind of left to do the explaining. Jerry DePoto talked to reporters after the trade. We'll talk to Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times. That's coming up at nine o'clock. But Scott Service is the guy who has to explain it to the clubhouse and kind of make sense of it for the fans after the game. Here's Scott Service on the trade of Kendall Graveman that returned Abraham Toro.
1: It happens to teams around the league. You know, players are moved, and you know, players come in and whatnot, and it takes a little while for it to settle, and um, it'll eventually settle. Um, you know, I know. Uh, you know, Jerry spoke to y'all earlier you know we still have a few days left to go in the trading deadline and i think we're going to continue to be very active as our goals really haven't changed here our goal is to you know do everything we can to get this ball club in the playoffs and um you know like i said you got to give it a few to- a few days um, until this thing the dust all settles
0: i've always thought on these deals and these sort of decisions the fairest thing in the world is for you to write down your opinion right now write down don't don't remember it write it down and if you think it's a bad trade, it's possible it is. It's possible that this will gut the clubhouse culture and this team that's been 23-8 and eight in one-run games will, will go in the, that this will be a, a death blow for their chemistry. That's possible. And that Abraham Toro will never have the, the upside that that they're hoping. That's possible. But write it down. Because we only tend to get mad about the trades that don't work and say we always knew it and don't remember the trades we thought were bad that turn out to be good. So I'd say that. If you think it's – I think it's a good baseball trade. I'm worried about the chemistry. You ask me, do I support the trade? Yeah, I do because I think this fits with what they're talking about, and I don't know what else is going to happen, and I don't think Jerry Depoto, as honest and open and he, as he's been about this process, is going to do something that hurts this team in 2021 at the benefit. I think they're going to come out of this trade deadline better for this season then they went into it. That's not true right now, but I, th- I think the-, the moves to follow will make this team better for the final 60, 58 games of the season. I'm going to wait to
1: make that kind of okay. assumption. I'll say my first reaction to it. Not a spin zone for Jerry Depoto and company. My immediate reaction was, what? Yeah. I don't get it. And I still don't really get it. I'm going to give him a little bit of time, though. And I understand there's a lot of people out there who don't feel the need to give Jerry DePoto and management time. And you know what? I totally get it. I totally understand. I empathize. That makes sense given the last 20 years. I totally get it. I just know from my own experience in two years here, I feel like there might be something to come. And I feel like to make a rash judgment now would be just jumping in emotions uh, straight from the hip for the sake of doing it straight from the hip.
0: What you don't get about it. Is it what they're getting or what they're giving? The up? return,
1: yeah, the return. I thought they needed a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. This this dude that they got, uh, Anderson, I,
0: Tyler Anderson,
1: Mr. Anderson. Yeah, uh, sorry, doesn't doesn't do anything for me.
0: He's a fifth starter. He's a guy that will will deepen deepen your starting rotation, but he's not a front end guy.
1: Exactly. Now that wasn't the main move. I don't know much about Abraham Toro. I honestly thought that uh, it was interesting that there's this twenty four year old out there for the Astros hitting a home run against you on Monday. So I'm intrigued by him, but does that make me feel better, I guess, long-term? I guess there's an option at third base now for the future. Uh, there's an option to potentially put at second base for the remainder of this season, too. So I, I I understand that one. It's 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 more, though, I guess I was looking for someone that was going to be splashier, and maybe that was unrealistic to begin with.
0: DJ, your opinion of the trade? I
1: don't like
0: it. I really, really don't like it. Is it what they're giving up or what they're getting?
1: I think it's what they're giving up. It's, it's not just a really good relief pitcher who is either your best or your second best, because you can argue that Paul Seawald has maybe been better than yeah. him yeah. as of recent. I agree with that, yeah. But it's more of just the cl- just the clubhouse chemistry like you guys have been talking about. He's a leader. Everyone loves him, and... The fact that a young team looks for veteran leaders, and I know they have that in Kyle Seager and Mitch Haniger, and Marco Gonzalez, but you can never have enough veteran leaders. This guy was teaching them how to win. He's been with the A's, especially when the A's have been having their recent yeah. success. This dude knows how to win. He knows what it takes to get to the playoffs. And you take away a piece
0: like that, I get really worried about how this young team reacts. Text in, 710-710, the Mac and Jack's text line. Not just, do you like it, do you not like it? If you do like it, what do you like about it? If you don't like it, what's the reason? My answer is, I like the trade because of what they're getting. I think they're getting a flexible piece that fits with what they're doing. and gives them, I, I am worried and I'm not ignorant of, of the blow to the clubhouse. I think more will come. But I like it because of what they're getting. Text in 710-710. Seattle Seahawks begin their season. Begin training camp today. And the fact that the Mariners are dominating conversation, first of all. Whoa! Shout out! Shout out to the Seattle Mariners. Because usually the joke is that the, their job is to get us to the start of training <laughs> camp. They, they've done more than that. So, and that's very, it's, it's, it's very exciting. I don't, I don't, I'm not not being snide about that either. Like this this part's very exciting. The start of training camp, the number one storyline is Jamal Adams' situation for good reason. This team gave up two first round picks and a third rounder to get him. They need to sign him to an extension. He wants it. The team wants him to get it. He doesn't have it yet. He's here, which is a great sign. What's the second biggest storyline? You have a quarterback in Russell Wilson who was grumpy in the offseason. Acted out a little bit. It seems like that's been smoothed over. You've got a left tackle in Dwayne Brown who has shown up for everything, but he wants an extension, so there's questions there. Your safety, Quandre Diggs, who who is coming off a Pro Bowl selection. He'd like an extension. What's the second biggest storyline for the Seattle Seahawks?
1: I think the drama's below the surface. To me, it's, hey... Shane Waldron's your new offensive coordinator, and we have heard a million different buzzwords used to describe him. I kind of want to get more than those buzzwords from Tyler Lockett when we have him on at 8.30 this morning. Intricate, creative, innovative, exotic, super complex, smart, brilliant. Okay, what does that mean? (laughs) That's what I want to figure out. And honestly, I don't know if we're going to find that out by the end of training camp, but this is a massive time for installation for this team and We'll see how they end up doing on that front. Gabe Jackson, how is he going to fit in with this new system? So for me, it's Shane Waldron, Danny. How about you?
0: Dwayne Brown. Hmm. And I hope that that's an easy and straightforward answer because I think Seattle has an advantage in negotiating with Jamal Adams. I think when it comes down to it, Adams doesn't have too many options. If he's going to be made the highest paid safety, he is going to eventually take that deal from Seattle. With Dwayne Brown, I think it's a little trickier. I think Seattle, a team, their preference would be with a player at at Dwayne Brown's age to manage it year to year, as opposed to signing extensions in advance. I don't think they have many options, and I get why Dwayne Brown would want an extension. I I hope that gets done. That, That, to me, is the number two question you've got he's a really important piece and he's somebody you have no alternatives. You could make an argument that he's the second most valuable Seahawk after Russell Wilson, not just because of how good he is, but because of how little depth you have behind him. And he's in his later 30s. He's past 35 and he wants he, he wants a new deal and you understand why. And and I I think he has the negotiating leverage in that situation with Seattle.
1: He does, but if he doesn't hold out then he how does he how does he put that leverage on the Seahawks?
0: That dude's held out before. He
1: has that dude. That different era, though, missed right?
0: that it 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 is. But I he missed paychecks, man. He did. I was like, there.
1: I remember it. I i, he I missed
0: thought, he missed paychecks. And I thought like, it was he's crazy. He's already done that. Like that's not a dude that you you want to engage in a stare down, right? Like when he no. says he wants an extension, he means it. But it's different, I think, this time around. From
1: first off, Texans organization. Versus Seahawks organization. You're right.
0: And he, he had he had an owner specifically that he had an issue with beyond football. That was the,
1: there was a, there was a final straw, and it took place right before that Texans and Seahawks game. It was interesting. I remember interviewing Dwayne Brown about thirty minutes before he got traded to the Seahawks because it was the first time that we had actually seen him on the field in Houston that year. The new CBA is one that almost takes all leverage out of players' hands. That they negotiated this, honestly, I get it. it. It's an uphill battle for them in all negotiations, but my God, they screwed up on that one. I mean, how does Dwayne Brown put any pressure on the Seahawks right now, Danny? I, I, I This year is different than 2017.
0: It's Danny and Gallant. I don't think it is. We'll talk about that ah. next and bring Michael Bumpus into the conversation with Blue 42.